Hey, it's Zachy. In this episode, our goal was to find out more about the non-binary community in Israel. To do that, we sat down with Kay Ruby to discuss their identity, how they and other non-binary folks fit into the LGBTQ community, and how they're treated in today's Israeli society. You're listening to... Israel Underground. What does it mean to live in a country that speaks a gendered language when you don't have a gender? How do non-binary people fit into the army where all jobs and uniforms are gender determinant? Is there a non-binary option in the civil registry? These are the kinds of questions that we had in mind when we began looking for a non-binary person to learn from for this episode. It was important for us to hear from a member of the non-binary population because, until now, we haven't. So thankfully, our friend Kay agreed to join us on the show. I'm 22. I currently live in Yafo. I was born in the United States. I've spent almost my entire life in Israel. We made Aliyah when I was still a baby. Um, and I realized that I'm non-binary. Uh, it was a process, but uh, it came to a head about two years ago. My pronouns are they, them. And currently I'm studying music in Tel Aviv in a program called The Garage, which is absolutely amazing and takes up all of my time. <laughs> okay. Well, it's great to have uh, a passion, especially in these times. Um, so I want to, uh, I want to, you know, take this interview kind of from a, a zoomed out perspective. And then gradually, I want to kind of zoom in uh, as we go. Um, first things first, though, I wanted to ask you, um, not having experienced uh, that kind of journey myself, how did you um, come to decide on your pronouns, they, them? What was that? process like for you? So that was actually really interesting. I um, spent the summer in Boston uh, a couple years ago. And this was right when I was like first starting to realize that like, I might not be cisgender. I was still kind of in denial. Um, but I met up with a friend who I had met on a previous trip to Boston. I met up with my friend and her partner. And I don't know if she misremembered my pronouns or she wasn't sure, but she referred to me as they. And it was like suddenly a lightning bolt. It was like, whoa, I was very taken aback. And then I realized I really like that. That suits me very well. Um, so I started asking my closer friends and some uh, internet friends to use those pronouns with me. And uh, it really worked and it stuck. Really nice. So it all starts in Boston. That's a, that's, that's a cool story. Boston. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about what it means to be a non-binary person in the scope of the the larger LGBTQ community as a whole, like the global community, right? Not even speaking about Israel yet. I just want to kind of have an understanding of where that fits into the, um, I guess, the, the queer community. So um, it's like everything in the world and in the LGBT community in particular, it's complicated. Um, we're not very visible, even within the community. There is definitely a hierarchy within the LGBT community, just like there is outside of it, with cis gay men at the top, uh, followed by cis lesbians, and so on and so forth. And uh, trans people are often forgotten, although less and less. But even within the trans community, non-binary people are not as often spoken about, we're not as well understood, we're often seen as an embarrassment to the trans community. There is a sect of trans people called the uh, transmedicalists 
who do not believe that non-binary identities exist. Uh, and they essentially treat us as, as a joke and as an embarrassment to the community and say, you're the reason why people don't accept us and they don't take us seriously with your 76 different genders. So it's, it's really hard to be that stigmatized within your own community. On the flip side of that, you have a lot of people coming to embrace us and discover the joy that there is in breaking free of all these gender norms. And even if they're not non-binary themselves, suddenly discovering that gender expression can work in so many different ways. Uh, and this is true of cis people and of LGBTQ plus people. And even within the non-binary community, there is also a hierarchy of visibility. Uh, I am assigned female at birth and I'm transmasculine. So I transition to the more masculine side of things. And that is the kind of default setting of non-binary people if something can be said to be default about this identity at all. Um, but it's definitely the version that gets the most visibility and the most representation, um, assigned male at birth, non-binary people and trans feminine non-binary people, uh, are frequently even more pushed under the rug than, than I would be. Okay. I wanted to ask a, a little bit about the, the relationship between, I guess, the trans community and the non-binary community. Hearing you speak about it, it seems like um, the non-binary community considers itself a, I guess, a subsect of the trans community. Is that right? Yeah. So um, trans is an umbrella term and there are binary trans folk and non-binary trans folk. Um, and non-binary is an umbrella term for a whole host of identities and micro labels. And, and uh, it's important to say that not all non-binary individuals choose to self-identify as trans. I personally do. Um, but Language in the LGBT community is so interesting in that sense because so much importance is placed upon self-identity and expressions of like personal preference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, speaking of, of that personal identity, I, I guess I want to zoom in a little bit with this next question. Kind of, uh, we've we've taken a, a kind of global look, a universal look, and I want to kind of narrow it down to being an Israeli um, in and a member of this uh, non-binary community, how does that jive together? And, and what is that experience like for you from a, from a cultural level? So um, it actually goes in two directions because there's the experience of being a non-binary person in Israeli culture, and there's the experience of being Israeli in non-binary culture. Um, so the experience of being a non-binary person in Israel is often very isolating, um, if the world at large doesn't understand us, it, Israel is not high up on the list of countries where I live in my little Tel Aviv bubble. Um, but if I put a toe outside of it, people have never heard of a non-binary person. Um, and it, it gets exhausting uh, explaining that trans people exist, which is met with shock, followed by the idea that not everyone is a man or a woman, which is met with further shock, especially in a culture um, that is partially due to our language, so very gendered. Um, and the strict gender separation that occurs in the army as well uh, reinforces this. Right. So talk to me a little bit more about that, that idea of um, language. Hebrew, of course, being a, an inherently gendered language um, with a masculine and feminine uh, version, I guess, to, 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 to the language. So how does that um, 
impact your experience as a, as a non-binary person? So, um, in, so your choice of uh, not exactly pronouns, I guess, in Hebrew, but your gendered reference in Hebrew is is even more important than it is in English because you cannot be addressed without someone gendering you. If someone's not sure what my gender is in English, they can just say you and talk to me and interact with me without knowing. In Hebrew, you have to, when you're talking to someone, there's no non-gendered option. So people need to know immediately and it has to be one of the first things that you present. And in terms of what people do about the fact that there isn't a non-gendered option, I started out using uh, like mixed reference in Hebrew, sometimes like jumping back and forth between the male and female um, and asking other people to do the same. I found this very frustrating because people didn't like it and they, it was too difficult for them and it was confusing and it was, and they were just completely unfamiliar with it. Um, and in addition to that, I realized that I, I do prefer the masculine over the feminine. So I decided to just pick one and go with the masculine to make my own life easier. Um, but I know a lot of people who still use uh, mixed reference and it's a frustrating process a lot of the time trying to get people to use the correct language to speak to you and refer to you. There are also some people who choose to use plural, um, which obviously the plural is also gendered, but it's also visibly non-binary. Like I chose to remove some of my outward image as a non-binary person when I chose a binary reference in Hebrew. Choosing plural is a further expression of your departure from classical gender norms. Uh, and that expression is very important to a lot of people. And so is this uh, a dialogue, um, I guess, something that, that comes up in the non-binary community in Israel? First of all, is there such a thing as, you know, the non-binary community in Israel? And, you know, what are the, I guess, what's the scope of, of that if it exists? So there are bubbles and um, two things in particular come to mind, the drag community uh, and Iggy, the Israeli gay youth. I was just coming into myself as a non-binary person when COVID started. Uh, so I did not, uh, get the chance to participate fully, uh, in those things, but, uh, there's a lot of acceptance of non-binary identities in the drag community. The few shows that I was at, people swap back and forth between different reference. Almost everyone there doesn't care how you refer to them. And the Israeli gay youth, I'm given to understand, formed a lot of important connections for a lot of people, um, uh, so there is a non-binary community in Israel. Most of the anchors around which uh, we circulate are um, currently currently shut down. Uh huh. You're suggesting like physical locations, like 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 drag shows, for example. Um, the few that I got to go to were such an amazing experience, uh, and it was my first exposure to drag kings. I would say most of the people there uh, were non-binary. One of the mentors identify as uh, non-binary. And so I had the privilege of, of kind of meeting a mentor, someone who has been through it and is living their life as a non-binary person. They're married, right? They, they just exist in the world as a non-binary person and they do that successfully. 
And I had never met a non-binary adult before that. You you mentioned before the interview that you'd like to, or you had what to say about um, the dating scene as a non-binary person and having experienced that. So I guess the the next question is, how does your identity impact your, your love life in that sense? So um, since coming out as non-binary officially, I have been wildly unsuccessful in my dating attempts. Um, on dating apps, the vast majority of my, on dating apps, by the way, you have to choose whether you're a man or a woman. Um, you can choose to seek both men and women, but you have to decide if you're going to be shown to people who are seeking men or people who are seeking women, which is a problem for me. So currently, just because this is still all of my old accounts, I am being seen by people who are seeking women. And so most of my matches would be straight men. And I have the same three or four conversations over and over. Um, it says in my bio that I'm non-binary, that I'm not a boy or a girl. Uh, it says my 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 Hebrew reference, and it says my pronouns. Uh, and then, so there's the people who clearly did not bother reading my bio and open with a clear female reference, and I have to correct them. And then I explain that I'm non-binary and they're like, what's that? And I tell them, it means I'm not a boy or a girl. What does that mean? What does that mean? And it, it spirals down to this whole rabbit hole, by which point I've realized that this isn't going to be successful because they misunderstand me on such a fundamental level. You're also dealing with like the worst demographic, like straight men is, I gotta say. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're not no, it's not great. And then there's the ones who clearly have read my bio and open with what's between your legs, um, at which point they are blocked. Um, and then there's the straight men who uh, kind of get, that I'm non-binary, but then they say, oh, but you're basically a woman because you have a woman's body, so it's fine, I can be with you, which I, I don't appreciate at all and I don't feel comfortable with and that doesn't go anywhere. And then the last group, um, and the most amusing to my eyes because it's very, very telling about the state of masculinity in the world right now, the ones who acknowledge me as non-binary, realize that I'm not a woman, seem to get that fact on a gut level, are still attracted to me, and then spiral down this like identity crisis rabbit hole. Oh no, what have I done? Who am I? What do I call myself? What do I tell my parents? What do I tell my friends? And you and I become to them essentially an experiment, um, which is very frustrating. First of all. Stay strong. I'm sure. I'm sure it's uh, just around the corner, but also, uh, yeah, I guess that that must be uh, fairly exhausting. By the way, not everyone has to be comfortable dating a non-binary person. If you consider yourself straight or you consider yourself gay, and you're just not into that, you're only attracted to one gender. That's fine. Um, it becomes more problematic when you start treating people like pariahs or like experiments or like a joke. Uh, something to try on or try out uh, without considering the humanity of the person in front of you. And it really is a very dehumanizing experience to like to exist as a non-binary person, but it, it is thrown into sharp relief on the, in the dating scene, particularly on dating apps. As soon as you're, as, as soon as something is different about you, right? People feel 
the, that they have the right to ask all sorts of invasive questions. People with tattoos experience this, right? People will start touching their tattoos without permission. But when it's something as fundamental to society as gender, when you're threatening the concept of gender, people lose all sense of propriety, it seems to me. Um, so I guess moving forward from a cultural level, I wanted to to hear from you about um, kind of from a more, I guess, governmental or state level of what it means in Israel to be non-binary and how that, I guess, what the give and take is, so to speak, with the system um, in terms of how you are registered, how you're looked at, um, and how you're treated um, as a citizen. So the the most obvious thing, right, is that on your ID, on your Todazot, you need to be a man or a woman. Through a long, invasive, strenuous process, you can uh, get your gender marker changed from male to female or female to male, but there is no alternative option. I still don't know what I'm going to decide to do about that. Uh, because on the one hand, I'm not a man, and I don't feel comfortable investing all that effort in proving that I am, uh, falsely proving that I am, uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, currently my bank, my Kupatcholim, any official government, whatever, uh, is going to refer to me as female when my reference is in fact male and being referred to as female makes me wildly uncomfortable. Um, so that's, that's the most basic of it. Another element of, uh, of state control over Israeli lives is obviously the, the military, the army. Um, now I personally did not go to the army and if I had, it would have been before I was out even to myself, but I I've spoken to many, many friends who, uh, were in the army and a theme that came up over and over is the, uh, very, very gendered expression that is allowed in the army. Under certain circumstances, you can be allowed to um, dress in the uniform of not your birth gender. Like if you prove to them that you're trans, uh, then you can um, wear a woman's uniform or a man's uniform respect like respectively. Um, but you cannot uh, be approved to wear a man's uniform and still keep your hair. I have a friend whose hair is very important to them as part of their gender expression. But when they were in the army, they had to make the choice between wearing the woman's uniform that they felt very uncomfortable in and getting to wear the man's uniform, but having to have a buzz cut. And that was a really hard choice for them to make. And then the third aspect that I wanna talk about is um, the, medical, the medical transition. So uh, there's a lot of, ev almost everywhere in the world, there's a lot of medical gatekeeping when it comes to trans people. Um, the feeling is that we are not seen as autonomous adults who can make decisions about our bodies. It's so much more than an informed consent process. You have to prove in a sense that you are trans enough, uh, and that you know what you're talking about and that you're not deluded. Um, and while I do support there being systems in place to make sure that people do know what they're getting into, because these are irreversible changes in a lot of cases. In my eyes, the level of the number of hoops you have to jump through. I, I just started the process for the VADA, for the committee uh, to get top surgery. And that is going to take me a year and a half 
not not until the appointment, just to be approved to get an appointment. It's going to take me a year and a half. And um, in that process, uh, I have been debating with myself whether I'm going to be honest with them and tell them that I'm non-binary or whether I'm going to present myself as a binary trans man, which is frustrating. And it also, it highlights the fact that there really isn't, we're not very acknowledged. There isn't a lot of information out there. No one was able to give me a solid answer as to whether non-binary people can be approved at all because no one knows. There isn't any official policy on the matter. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone winds up kind of playing it safe. Um, And for a process that's, that's ostensibly so concerned with getting to the real truth about someone, forcing people to hide who they are in order to get access to the, in many cases, urgent medical care that they need uh, is absolutely unforgivable in my opinion. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I think we are, we are coming close to uh, closing up here, but I wanted to ask if there's, you know, anything else that you'd, you'd like to share with our listeners about your experience um, being a non-binary person in Israel what that means as a whole. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's a, a little naive to ask, but like, it, what's giving you hope? What's the the positive uh, future for you? So I'd love to end on a positive. As frustrating as it is to exist in a, um, in this society where we're not very talked about and we're barely acknowledged, despite that, I have found a great many people who want to listen and learn and accept people who know that they might never understand, but know that um, they can respect me and accept me without fully understanding. People who, when I've told them, hey, that's too personal a question, you shouldn't ask me or any other trans person this question, they've accepted that criticism. The world really is full of good people who want to do better and who want to learn more. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope. It also gives me hope to see that children find it so much easier to accept this than adults do. If we continue exposing these things to to the world and educating about them and bringing them out of hiding, then the next generation won't, won't have this stigma because it has to be taught. Until you teach children to be suspicious or hateful or discriminatory, um, that that's not something that comes naturally to a child. Ch- children are open and curious. And if, if a little kid comes up to me and asks, are you a boy or a girl? I'll usually respond, I'm not a boy and I'm not a girl. And then sometimes they'll ask, what are you? And sometimes they'll say, a magician. And they go, cool. And they run back to their parents. So that it does give me a lot of hope. And I think, I don't think that this is, I don't think that the world is going to stay like this forever. Thanks for listening. We're really excited to keep the show going. If you have any suggestions for topics or people whose voices should be heard, drop us a line. You can send us a message on anchor.fm slash Israel underground. And you can also follow us on Facebook at il.underground. Israel Underground is written and produced by Eden and Zaki Farber-Hennessy. All additional audio is used under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening!